Cool. So um, welcome to the first episode of our podcast. Um, I'm here with Scott Burden, who's been with uh, EIMS, the agency that we're, we both represent um, for a long time now, about 13 years or so. 14. 14 yeah. years. I was pleased to get off the unlucky 13. Yeah. <laughs> get to 14, yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So we wanted to do an episode today, really just to take, talk through the seven deadly sins of uh, content syndication or digital demand uh, generation. Um, we put an article up the other day and I wanted to go into some of those details, maybe share some anecdotes of um, customer stories that you've seen over the years so maybe people can learn from that, relate to it and, and maybe help somebody out there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think you know the first one that sticks out for me is paying for duplicate leads um, you know, as they get filtered through. What kind of experience have you had with clients in that situation? Well, so I think the, the, the key thing the, the key issue that clients have is that they use kind of multiple publishers for for, for different programs. Um, and sometimes publishers might send the same lead through twice. And mo most of them are good about exchanging those, you know, and, and so you don't pay for that duplicate lead if you flag it to them. But then there's obviously a cost in finding it and flagging it back to them, you know, where you could have been using that time and resource to be doing something else, right? But also, if you're using multiple publishers, you can't dedupe against each other Right, so so what a different publisher might give you the same lead as another one, and that becomes like a real challenge if you're running large scale programs, um, you know, all over the place. So um, so yeah, I've seen clients struggle with that a lot, and you know, lose, you know, a fairly significant percentage of their leads, you know, to 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 the to the waste paper bin through that really. Yeah, yeah, I was actually catching up with um, some of the guys in APAC, and they were saying on one of the programs recently one of the vendors, I can't really say the name, but had 70% of waste, yeah. mainly from, from that duplicate leads. And Creek obviously APAC being so multicultural, a lot of different regions and geos targeted by different publishers, 70% waste that they were paying for. Yeah. Unbeknownst to them. Yeah. At that point. Not uncommon, I think, not uncommon. And, and um, the, uh, you know, it's, it's rare to find people that we talk to Apart from our clients, obviously, right? uh, that, that, that rave about their content syndication programs. You know, when we talk to them, they don't say, oh, yeah, I'm doing these things. They're absolutely amazing. Yeah. I just get the return that I expected. And even, you know, it never, it never seems to exceed expectations. It nearly always seems to disappoint. Yeah. And I think it's because of, you know, that's one of the reasons for sure. Yeah, I think it's a really, really easy um, approach to get wrong. Yeah, you know, they're often oversold by publishers and media agencies. We'll get you a thousand leads. You know, maybe the sales team, a VP is coming to you and saying, "Look, I need marketing's under delivering. I need more leads." You get the phone call, "Hey, I need a thousand leads in the next five weeks." Yeah, and they can deliver them. But the problem is, what stage are they in the in the marketing um, journey, the buyer's journey, yeah. and are they really ready for a sales handover? And in practice, they're not because you're throwing one asset at it. Mm. It's an awareness asset. Go to the sales guys. These leads are crap. And then the conversion rate doesn't happen. And yeah. then the budget doesn't get signed off. It's a big, vicious cycle. That brings to mind actually quite an amusing uh, uh, anecdote. So, so um, I, um, as I said, been in the industry a long time. And um, I, the first program that we did, where we were doing the telequalification follow up to a to a, a you know an email nurturing campaign, if you like, but that used a, a map platform. Yeah. Right. So the first one that I remember being involved in, it was really in the early days, mm -hmm. and the. Um, the, the client was a pioneer, right? So I don't want to say you know, anything bad about them, but they're a pioneer. But the, the lead scoring was um, basically 
rigged so that any lead that hit a lead score of 45 was deemed a hot lead and we had to follow it up like you know we had an SLA to follow it up in the same day yeah and uh, and we, we we had no joy on this and we basically kept saying look we're getting the phone put down on us you know, these people are not just not interested they're quite angry you know <laughs> and uh and we, and we raised it and they went into the lead scoring and realized that they were they were um, awarding 15 points for someone um opening an email mm -hmm. 15 points for them clicking a link um in, sorry sorry reading it and then 15 points for clicking any of the links in it mm. um including the unsubscribe link so basically you have people that were getting the email thinking this is not for me uh where's the unsubscribe boom and then we were calling them the next day going hey i understand you're really interested in this technology you know oh, so um yeah. so i've seen it come a really you know really long way but um it's technical, right? It's not mm. a simple case of just giving a rep a script anymore and saying, get some ops and our, our um, field sales guys will, will follow them up. You know, although these advancements have been amazing for the industry, it, it, it's, it's introduced a lot more technicality and sort of complexity, I think, to marketing and, and sales, really. Absolutely. It's got way more complicated. And let's face it, you know, often the reason it gets more complicated is because of marketers, right? <laughs> We create our own problem yeah. you know, with an influx of messaging. Everybody wants your attention. Everybody wants to convert. Um, it causes the problem. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's it's a crucial thing for people to overcome where you're just putting that money down the drain. Um, yeah. Looking at the second reason, a lot of times we target one person, one job title, send all of our assets and try and get all of our leads from that one guy. Um, what yeah. experience have you had in that approach? Yeah, well, you know, again, I think that's the sort of, uh, you know, um, tech marketing 1.0, 1, 1 right, approach, really. And I think the world's changed so much. And um, the, the high, especially the higher value, um, you know, average deal value that you're, you're selling to or the, or the more of a solution that you're, you're selling rather than a product. So, for instance, you know, that, might, that approach might work for if you're, if you're doing a campaign for servers, right, to, mm -hmm. you know, to buy some more servers. But if you're selling a, an enterprise software solution, you know, it, it has a DMU that's really wide and you're going to have researchers who have been told to go out and, you know, yeah. shortlist potential suppliers. We can look at what's on the market. Then you've got, you know, you've got recommenders, you've got influencers in the deal, the financial or you know, economic sort of, you know, signer, mm -hmm. the, the end decision maker. So, um, so I think that enterprise level, um, you know, marketing campaigns have to consider that really, which is yeah. you've got multiple audiences. And um, I think, you know, we all know they change according to the company size you're targeting the industry, you know, yeah. lo loads of things. So again, more complexity, right? But yeah, the, the, um, that, that's, that's something that's really got to be thought about at the design stage of the program. Mm -hmm. You can't sort of get halfway through and say, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're too narrow, we need to broaden it out because your when we'll probably come on to this yeah. your content then needs to be different for right. the different type of people that you're absolutely you're approaching absolutely and i think we were answering answering a question earlier on um from somebody you know we're targeting a white paper just at a cmo wanted to go more strategic and exactly like what you said if you're doing enterprise if you're doing an enterprise demand generation program you've got to look at that broader dmu and speak to the influencer speak to the recommender speak to um the like head of that line of business and the C-suite guy, no, not yeah. just always the C-suite. And I think everybody thinks the holy grail is, let me get the C-suite person. Yeah. And then we'll turn it around. It's just not and, the case. And, and, and yeah, and the, the thing is, you're, you're also going to hit, because they're such high value contacts, you're going to hit far fewer, right? And then the ones you do get engaging, you'll, never, you'll really struggle to get on the phone when you want to actually follow them up and mm. start a conversation. So 
So yeah, a, a, a broad mix is really, really important, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so one of the third one here is actually, um, you mentioned earlier on, a lot of people have problems with duplicate leads because they use more than one publisher. But the third sin is actually only using one publisher and not split testing across them. Yeah. So what have you got to say about that? Yeah, well, uh, you know, again, it's um, if, if uh, you're running programs um, yourself and you're negotiating the deals with the publishers yourself, mm -hmm. it might be tempting to say, like, um, I'm maxed out, I'm busy, you know, I'm, I'm trying to buy a thousand leads in, you know, in the US for God's sake, I, I don't want to deal with 10 different publishers that, that magnifies my workload mm -hmm. enormously. And, you know, definitely forgive people for thinking that way. But we, we found that um, the way we approach it, and we, we, you know, we use multiple publishers as a point of principle, because mm -hmm. you want to be able, as you said, you know, it's A-B test, yeah. split run test between those publishers, um, but not just for the fun of it. So you've got data that comes back that then allows you to make decisions like, this piece of content that's going to that buyer persona is working really, really well with that publisher, but nowhere near as well with this one. So let's shift the, the, the investment from that publisher to this one mm -hmm. um, to maximize our client's ROI. And um, you, you just simply can't do that if you're dealing with the publisher directly yourself, unless you're doing it on massive scale and they're gonna then bend over to backwards to help you, I suppose. But yeah, you know, I think, I think that's, it's not only a good idea, it's critical to, to, to getting success out of this, really. Adam Hunter was uh, telling me the other day that you and him were on a call with a lady who said, working with one publisher and being locked in was like being with an abusive boyfriend, that yeah. even though you keep getting the short end of the stick, you're, uh, you keep going back for more. Yeah. She, she, yeah, exactly. She was my client as well, and um, the 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 theory that she had behind that was she knew it was it wasn't the right relationship for her business wise. Um, she um, it was the, all she knew, so she kind of felt comfortable with the process, and she could just pick up the phone and say, "Hey, we want to do this campaign again." Yeah, and um, it felt like the the setup work was shorter, but actually, when you look at the total cost of ownership, mm -hmm. you know the stress and poor it's results that she was getting. Yeah, exactly. you know it. it you know, it's it's crazy, but you know, it's it's one of those. It was probably one of the. I can't remember. Is it Einstein's quote? You know, doing the, doing the same, same things thing but expecting again. different results is a definition of insanity. And you know, I think yeah. that bears out really. Yeah, the fear of change makes us, you know, hold hold ourselves back from a lot of things. Yeah. Um, the fourth one is actually uh, accepting non-spec leads. So I think this one's a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? Uh, the first side being, did you define your leads back in the first place? Yeah. Did you really yeah. think about it? Um, or did you just say, okay, I want tech contacts manager level or above in these enterprise yeah. companies with that much revenue? You know, it's a very, very broad, you know, targeting. Um, and the second one is where well if you did define your your spec specifically, why you know, why do you not have a process that actually reviews that and rejects the ones that don't need it? Yeah, and, and, uh, and I think that the key to getting that bit right, because you're right, there's, there's no right answer, right? I'll give you an example in a second, but um, I think the key to it is defining your outcome. You really need to know, we want leads that can go into the inside sales team, you know, and convert into pipeline within three months. So, so we probably need to hit people when they're in the middle of the buying cycle, mm. and we need content and personas, you yeah. know, to target with that content that, that fit that. Um, Another example I can think of is um, a client that I worked with recently who they're launching their software into a new sector that hasn't, you know, there's no other in, no, competition in there at the moment because they've, they've just had the idea to, to do that. And for that reason, I won't say who it is, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, 
they they want deliberately want to create awareness. Mm-hmm. They want to be establish themselves as a thought leader. They know people aren't walking around saying, "Oh, you know, I've got this problem. That's the solution." Because yeah. it, it's very early, you know, early adoption phase in the market. So they're looking for um, awareness, mm-hmm. you know, opportunities. Mm-hmm. And um, so so their spec is going to be really different to the people that say, "No, we need sales pipeline for these guys in the next six months or yeah. or hell will break loose." You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's that's probably the biggest challenge with content syndication is most people do it with the intention in their mind that they want it to be high volume of, you know, likely to convert leads. Yeah. Really, they're, you know, they're not going about it the right way, which actually comes up to the to the next point, which is poor follow up. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest, biggest things in terms of like the success of this campaign. It's not just on marketing shoulder. Yeah. It's the alignment between marketing and sales to make sure that the sales guys value the leads, they understand and have expectations set on what are they going to get. You know, they're going to get a CMO who just downloaded or a CIO or a CISO um, who just downloaded a white paper. He's very early days. He might pretend he doesn't even remember downloading the white paper. Maybe he yeah. doesn't remember downloading the white paper. If they have that expectation set and they're aligned with marketing, they can have much more credible and beneficial conversations and start to nurture that relationship instead of just thinking this guy's going to say, yeah, you know, give me a hundred, please. Do you know what? Poorly follow-up is, you know, I don't know how long we've got for this, but it could, this could be like a five-hour <laughs> podcast on its own, right? Because it, it's such a massive area. But um, something came to mind when we were talking about the accepting non-spec leads earlier. You know, I've had um, experiences where people look at a resource and say, look, they're not busy. They, they, you know, they haven't got enough leads to follow up. So let's just open the floodgates and just, you know, because they've got to be doing something to make that resource productive. Yeah. And actually... You know, I th- again, that's a that's a route to spending more money on poor results. You know, that, that that's all that achieves. I think it takes courage to do this, but I think sometimes people have got to say, no, look, you know, we're going to throttle back on the leads and work on how do we get more of that high quality lead so we get the best out of that results. Yeah. Um, and um, and I think that links into poor follow up as well because you know I've seen loads of examples, so I'll just pick a, a few really. But um, if um targets drive behavior all the time as, as we know yeah. and um one thing i've seen is if you give a, a a lead generation rep or an inside sales rep loads of different ways they can hit their number mm-hmm. existing clients um to sell an upgrade versus you know calling back um you know uh, yeah. content indication leads that that have a you know have a warm interest but not a lot more than that yeah. um they'll go where the where they're fed right and um Absolutely. And, uh, and and neglect those leads. So I often think that actually on the follow up, it makes a lot of sense to make sure that you've got a dedicated resource that all they do is that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that brings me back a few years ago. I used to run um, the EMEA response management team for a major security vendor that we worked with. Um, and we had, you know, 25 different um, reps covering the whole region. And, you know, once a year, there would be the big Jitec, um event in the Middle East. Yeah. And Jitec's. And we would literally get, you know, two and a half, three thousand leads or inquiries that would come in to be qualified in a region that we normally had one to one point five resources. Right. Yeah. So they'd normally go to a hundred leads a week. We had you know, two thousand five hundred come in. Yeah. Um, which is on the one hand exciting, but that, you know, causes that bottleneck that you're talking about of not getting to the ones that actually are ready to convert quickly enough, which yeah. can be a resourcing thing and we have to, you know, be creative around how we actually manage to that data. But it just reminded me what you were saying there that we used to joke that sometimes you know the event organizers would send through and we, we would have to we have data for florists 
who actually, you know, put the flowers through the whole event. And yeah. those, those leads were not being filled out and we're spending sales yeah. resource to qualify to that, you know? And now that might, might only be five or 8% of your data, but 8% of 3000 records. Exactly. And you're spending somebody to call through it, sift through it, eliminate it. That's just, you know, an example of how yeah. that can really occur. Jitex is also a really expensive show for people to be at, right? Yeah. So they're normally clients are panicking that, you know, these if these leads don't get followed up, even the florists, you know, we're gonna yeah. lose loads of money. Yeah. Um yeah, so so I think that's a key bit about this resource planning and really yeah. thinking about that upfront when you're designing a program. Yeah. I think quite often people think, right, let's get our bunch of leads first. Now well at the end. Yeah, exactly. Um so I think that's really critical. The other thing I would say in there is prioritization is is really key. So um, going back to the content thing, right? Yeah. Um, it might it doesn't make sense to put some hunting sort of shark of a of a business development rep following up people that are interested in engaging with the thought leadership because mm. they need to be nurtured along and they're not ready anyway. So it's only going to frustrate those, those reps and stop yeah. them hitting their targets. Um, but you do want them focused on the people that have downloaded some case studies because they're really starting to look at what yeah. this solution does for um, mm. for other companies and maybe it can do it for theirs. Yeah. That's what you want them. So, so I think that um, defining your kind of marketing nurture tracks really and saying like, you know, if these assets come in, yeah. the next, the person then gets sent a case study and we'll try and move them down the funnel and then engage with them at the right time. That's critical to follow up really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was looking at um, the Gartner um, marketing waterfall your day um, for a, another article it specifically talks about you know splitting up you know all MQLs are not created equal yeah right? so just because it came from marketing doesn't really mean does it really mean it's qualified is it ready for sales you can actually break that down into a number of different dimensions you know four different types where you know it can go through your automation process your automation can say right now it's ready for a telemarketing person to qualify it right and then when the telemarketing person qualifies it they can kick it over to the sales guy. Um, so yeah, I think that's a very key part of the process to do it right, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and the other thing I would say is speed of follow-up is is critical, yeah. especially with those, it, it, well, whatever the follow-up is, right? So if you're if the follow-up is gonna be a, a, an email to, to nurture them with more content, that needs to go out immediately. Um, but um, <laughs> there's some stat, I forget it, you, you might have it actually, but about the you know the the the, the chances of converting an opportunity yeah um you know 60 times higher if you follow up within one hour of somebody engaging with an asset you're 60 times more likely to have a meaningful yeah. conversation with that person than if you leave it one day even 24 that's crazy hours. 60 it? times more likely yeah that's crazy and if you then think about that and factor it in if you're dealing direct with publishers yourself and you know how regular is your um, is your uh, delivery of leads? Is it in a spreadsheet or does it fire straight into your CRM? Yeah. And and you into know, into a queue in Salesforce, yeah. literally says right inbound, qualified yeah. straight away, pops up with, with the right priority. So the reps mm -hmm. know, you know, they drop everything when one of those comes in. Yeah, you know, th that throws up a load of complexity as well. Which you know, we we ha we've helped clients deal with over over the years. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, there's a lot to think about on the follow up. That's for sure. For sure, yeah. Um, I think the last one. The biggest thing I think of, of perhaps of all is, is actually just ignoring the cost of the waste. Um, it can be quite common to think that we don't actually have that problem, but unless they're actually auditing that data, looking at you know what the data is telling us, um, we can't really be sure that we don't have it. And nine times out of 10, when we actually do that audit, whether it's our own teams or you know we're helping a client sort of get to that clarity, nine times out of 10, there is waste there. 
you know, yeah. um, on average, it's about 30%, you know, of the range. And you've seen it yourself, tends to fluctuate between 20 and 40% on the likes of the, the mm. media leads that we're talking about. Um, if you think about that, right, if, you, if you're spending, say, 250K a quarter on media leads, right, content generation, right. performance marketing, um, that's a million dollars a year. 30% of that is wasted leads. Uh, that's 300K that's just going into the trash, you know? And that doesn't even include the cost of sales follow-up, which is probably about half, you know? Um, yeah. Which is a, a monumental waste. But the other thing, most marketers, I don't know many marketers in the world who say, you know what? My conversion rate is so high, I don't I don't actually want to improve it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I've never heard that yeah. before. Good. But if you just look at waste, and if you remove waste, you could be getting what you deem is, you know, most of the people I talk to tend to tell me like, oh, I'm getting about 5%, 6%, 4% conversion rate, right? Um, but including that waste. If you take out that waste, that 30%, right? You're actually getting close to almost 9% conversion on those, on that volume of leads. Now, if, right. you fill in, if you fill in back at the top through an integration with a platform or, or um, an agency who does that, like, you know, we would do that for a client. If you eliminate that waste and replace it, you'll actually get you know, 9% on 30% more leads. So your ROI on that program explodes, right? And then if you yeah. do your things like optimize on job title and asset and stage of the journey, that's when you get starting to exceed the serious decisions, best in class, you know, of 9.7%, you're getting up towards 10, 11, 12%. Yeah, it makes makes total sense, doesn't it? And, and your, you know, people look at everything in terms of cost per lead all the time, but actually you've got to look at the total cost of ownership and, yeah. and ROI, right? Yeah. Um, the, in, the interesting thing about that is, um, I think it plays into the poor follow-up sometimes. So, so there's two things. I think that people can't, can't measure it. They haven't, maybe haven't built systems and mechanisms that allow them to very quickly see how much waste there is. Mm. They only look at conversion rates, and it might lead them to the conclusion that this content indication doesn't work because we only got five percent conversion rate or two percent. It's really disappointing. We get even better off of our contact us yeah. on our website or on yeah, exactly, events, exactly. and it pushes clients to make investment decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, without, perhaps without seeing the full data to make that. That picture, if, as you said, if you then remove 30% of the duplicate leads and non-spec leads, yeah. um, two things would happen. One, that conversion rate would change anyway. Yeah. Um, two, you don't need to pay for them yeah. if you do it the right way. So you know you can you can reinvest that budget in good leads. And three, and this is the old classic that we've been quite aware of. If you um, sales, you know, I'm a salesperson, so I, you know, speaking badly of my own breed here, right? But um, if they if they start to follow up a, a bunch of leads and maybe the first ten are not that great, yeah, they will say waste of time that list, Basically, even yeah. if there's a thousand there, Absolutely. right? They might have just hit ten poor ones. But if if you um if if they make a, you know if they got a lead or a sale off the first one, yeah, it's a better list. That's ever been <laughs> you know. So um, so actually, I think that might feed into the sort of poor follow up problem as well. Yeah, not absolutely. just the waste and the lack of ROI, but it you know it feeds into the poor follow up. It really you you hit them like the nail on the head there. You know, I heard a call yesterday, and the marketing guy's like, look, you know, my sales team don't really like it. Um, they're you know. They've been following up on it, right? But we, you can't see that in the data, though, can you? Like, no, no, they, they're using their mobiles. It's like, yeah, the sales guy yeah. is using his mobiles to, <laughs> to call up on all the leads, right? Um, but when it's a highly performing one, they use their desk phone. So, yeah, you know, which can be tracked. I, I think, you know, I'm not beating up the sales guys. I've been there myself, you know, calling up on yeah. my data is very painful. Um, but, you know, I think 
with the right attention and just taking a little bit of time to audit that yeah. data, you can actually just improve everything all around. Yeah, and and um, a lot of the, we 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 often talk to marketers, uh, marketers primarily, and um, quite often they have lost the sales team's buy-in to their to their programs because of a perhaps a poorly executed previous one, and um, it's hard to get that back actually, and and that again often then says well we'll stick to the old tried and tested things like events then yeah. you know where which the salespeople go to so they feel mm-hmm. like a, a you know kind of buy into the whole process yeah it doesn't need to be like that you know and, and you know i'm sure we'll have many clients like that in the future where we can win the sales team's confidence confidence back with some good quality leads mm-hmm. you know it's a game changer absolutely absolutely well look scott i really appreciate you taking the time um today to to uh to sit down with me and kind of go through this i want to pick your brains before you're off to you know sunny apac from sunny miami but um hope that was helpful for anybody there if you have any questions um or anything that you would like us to cover, you know, feel free to email us in, send me an email on, on LinkedIn and we'd be happy to cover those those topics. Pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, Owen.